and welcome to Doc to Me. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week we are getting super dark with Netflix's The Raincoat Killer Chasing a Predator in Korea. I know before I said I didn't want to cover documentaries about serial killers, but this one seems really fascinating. And it's really new, too. Yeah. Like, like super, super new. For one, it's just nice to be reminded that we do, while we do have a fucking endless supply of serial killers, we're not the only country. Yeah, some of them are a little bit more brutal. Yeah. And his choice of victims is quite odd. Yeah, it was a little um, eclectic. Yeah, and honestly, it's just nice to hear a new story. I'm kind of tired of hearing about Ted Bunny all the time. It's... Oh, he's so boring. He has a unibrow. It's very obnoxious to see his face. He's not attractive. (laughs) So let's get into it, and I'm just going to go ahead and apologize now for any mispronunciations I make. I will definitely try my best, but I am not Korean. No, and <laughs> the the dubbing on this, like... Some of the voices were interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know who made their choices yes. for, like, who was going to voice who. Because <laughs> the one guy sounded like a newscaster, my favorite guy, the Purple Shades guy. Yes. He was very exciting. (laughs) So let's just get right into this. October 9th, 2003 at 2 p.m. in Dung, which is one of the wealthiest areas of Korea. Just right off the bat with this first reported crime scene, it's rough. That's a lot of blood. Kang In-sun, 85, was bludgeoned to death with a hammer. His daughter, Lee Suk-jin, 60, her handicapped grandson, Go Jinsu, 35, were killed in the same manner soon afterwards. In the film, they say the victim's husband arrives home from work and found the bodies. I'm going to assume it's a 60-year-old daughter's husband. I would hope the 85-year-old woman's husband isn't still working. Yeah, no, I, I want to say it was the, the daughter's husband. Kim Hee-suk seems to kind of lead the investigation on this crime scene, and she does not hold back on describing the scene. No, she's definitely very, like, her voice is one of the interesting ones that I... It was to the point where I was like, okay, we get it. Like, it's a bloodbath. (laughs) I thought it interesting how they put, like, blocks down to step on to not... Yeah, so they don't get into the crime scene, but she said they couldn't even do that. There was just so much blood everywhere, they didn't have anywhere to put them. Yeah, but I just, like, looking at, like, the little stepping blocks was really interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was, that's, that's new. That's what was cool in watching this, is you learn about, like, yeah. different, how other countries, like, handle crime scene techniques and even, like, the justice system. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It was different. So, because the victims didn't fight back, and it's in a nice neighborhood with no one reporting anyone shading walking around, they, of course, think the husband is involved. Oh, yeah. It was pretty, you know, immediate number one suspect. So, while they're still investigating this crime scene, they notice some people kind of milling about, and they ask who they are, and it's detectives from the Gangnam Police Station. They've heard about this crime and thought, that's weird, we have a case very similar, similar to this one. So two weeks earlier, on September 24th, 2003, at 1 p.m., retired university professor Lee Duke Su, 72, was stabbed in the neck with a knife. He and his wife, Lee Young Oak, 67, were then beat to death with a hammer. 
both of these crimes are in affluent neighborhoods and yet nothing is stolen. Yeah, they said that like there was money and valuables just like in plain sight that weren't taken, yeah, which is so it's very odd and confusing to the investigators. Yeah, definitely not a robbery. And yeah, watching how crimes are handled in other countries, we learned that our shitty mistakes aren't just a one-off thing because Korea also has a policy of different police departments not working together to solve crimes. Because everybody wants the credit of solving the crime. Yeah, it's like some kind of weird reward system where, like, you get a a pat on the back and, like, a promotion for yeah. every crime you solve or something. Because, yeah, they show up to this other crime scene because they're like, well, this looks familiar. And then they're like, no, you go solve your crime. We'll solve ours. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus. All right. <laughs> so much for cooperation. I also think it helped watching Squid Game before this. <laughs> because I always thought of Korea as like this amazing place, almost like Japan light. But turns out they have some serious economic problems and they're no better than the good old USA. No, and I think that they're actually... I want to say like in some areas, like they're behind in the times too. Yeah. Like... And they even go over like... The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and we have different crimes here. Sounds familiar, yeah. yeah. But they're more like kidnapping stuff. And for Yeah, and for ransom. Yeah, they don't have as much of a murder problem. So that's just to put you where things were during this time in Korea. So the first crime was September 24th, the second crime October 9th, and now the third crime is October 16th. Like, it is just... Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. And even through all of this, it's like eight months, something like that. Yeah, it was it was it, super rapid. Yeah, like he did not have a day job. No. So this third crime is in Gangnam, which is also where the first crime happened, right? Yes. Kind of got confused. So he's just kind of popping around different districts of Seoul. They also pronounce that like three different ways yeah so like i thought it was soul but they none of them even pronounced it that way it was like soul, soul. and soul and yeah so I'm like this doesn't help <laughs> it also seemed kind of odd that the crimes are happening in the afternoon like they never mentioned that but i thought that was kind of weird yeah it was like an odd time for which i mean i guess that makes sense that they would get like the elderly yeah because i mean most older like you know most like young adults and children would be like at school or at their jobs or whatever like so i guess it makes sense that that's a peak time to hit up the elderly because i know like break-ins happen more often during the day but he's not even stealing anything yeah so it's almost like he's like deliberately targeting times where vulnerable people would be yeah they never even talked about the time i just thought it was odd that they all seem to be happening in the afternoon um another odd thing is they send five forensic investigators to scenes but also a criminal profiler they only seem to have one but i was like do you send that to every crime i thought that was odd well and i he was like the only one too so like does he just travel all over korea like or is it was like he was he the only one in like school or forensic detective was the only female 
Yeah, she... It's like, it's really 2000s. It's not that long ago, but... Well, like I said, like, in in a lot of places, like, you know, I, I know when my husband was talking about when he lived in Thailand, like, it was definitely, like, a good 10, 20 years behind what it was in the United States. Yeah. Yu Jun Hee, 60, was beaten with a hammer. She was later found by her son at 1.30 p.m., but passed away by 2 p.m. So these victims are beaten so heavily in the head that detectives can't even figure out what the murder weapon is. They are able to match a shoe print from this crime scene to the second one, so that's somewhat helpful. They're able to tie these together. Yeah, there was one, like, on a rug with blood, and then there was one on, like, an air conditioning unit, which they it was weird that they were talking about, like, the chilling feel in the in the room or whatever and then they like went and examined the ac unit there was a footprint i was like is that some kind of like foreshadowing kind of thing just on yeah (laughs) like was it the ghost leading you to the ac unit where the footprint was but it is terrifying if someone is breaking into the homes of old rich people beating them so severely no one even knows what the murder weapon is and then just leaving without taking any valuables yeah. Like, just, there's just no known purpose. Fucking blood anything. everywhere. Yeah. November 11th, 2003, a fire breaks out at a home in Jongro. They are there and discover Kim Jong Seok, 87, and his housekeeper, Bei Jin Hai, 53, are found dead from stab wounds and blows to the head. And there was also a one year old boy that was apparently fine. Well, in this time, they caught the place on fire, and I think that they said that, like, the two victims were burned. I had read that when he was trying to open up the safe, he somehow cut his hand, so he didn't want to leave any DNA, so that's why he set the fire. That would make sense. I don't remember if they discussed that in this, though, but I read that elsewhere. That that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, because it was the only scene that he, like, you know, torched. Yeah. So... Yeah, so, yeah, it seemed the killer tried to get into the safe, but because of the fire at the first, they don't tie this one to the other scenes. Until they come upon a matching shoe print, which, it reminds me of Richard Ramirez. Like, that's how they were tying those together, was because of shoe prints. Yeah. So, at this point, the press announces that there's a serial killer, despite what the higher-ups in the police force think. Yeah, they don't want to use the word serial. Yeah, which seems fair, I get it. They don't have any many. They don't have many serial killers in Korea. On Wikipedia's list of serial killers by country, Korea has thirteen, and one of them was from the 1700s. So I don't know if I want to add that. <laughs> that doesn't count. Meanwhile, on the same list, USA doesn't show anything because we have so many. We get our own fucking page. We <laughs> do. <laughs> so it is apples to oranges. <laughs> that. It doesn't seem like they have much evidence at these crime scenes, so they're literally just asking around for anyone suspicious and checking cell phone pings to see if... Any of them match up, up, yeah, in the same areas. Checking bags of anyone suspicious to see if they're carrying a hammer. (laughs) Excuse me, I need to check your bag. Like, it's needle in a haystack. But they are able to narrow the shoes down to being Buffalo brand. Go ahead and Google those shoes. They're hideous. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm sure there's nice, like, 
work shoe looking like loafers or something but if you google it everything that comes up are those like giant shoes like the spice girls used to wear <gasps> i always wanted some of those <laughs> well now you know it's buffalo brand <laughs> oh my god yes they're uglier than the sketcher shape-ups <laughs> they are <laughs> They totally are, but I totally wanted, like, the little shoes, like, Baby Spice. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> totally found them. That's what I needed. Thank you. <laughs> found my Baby Spice shoes. So it seems that while the higher-ups don't want to admit there's a serial killer, these detectives are really trying to work together to solve this. They seem to be really dedicated to figuring it out. To the point yeah, that one guy said that he, his family was bringing him clean underwear. Yeah. <laughs> he but was to dead. the point they're trying to predict where the killer will strike strike next based on the Korean alphabet. <laughs> Doesn't help them, but it shows how dedicated they are. And they were like camping out in their cars with like no AC, just yeah. like hot, not moving. So the guy who brought up the alphabet thing. What room was he in? There was a weird Egyptian painting on the wall next to him. <laughs> I had to like pause it to be like, what is this? I feel like it was probably his home. I don't know. It was so out of place. So with this last crime, they're able to catch a little bit of a break. A uh, building nearby had cameras that faced part of the road, and they spot a man on the footage. After showing it to family members, they say they don't recognize him, but they can only see the back of the suspect. But they do say he's wearing the jacket of the victim's husband. So Which they know is like, this guy, yeah. Like he's not stealing valuables, but he's like, hey, it's a nice jacket. I'm going to go ahead and take yeah. it. Or maybe he was covered in blood, and he was like, I should probably cover some of this blood up. Yes. But, I mean, they're at a standstill. So they release the CCTV footage to the public in hopes of any information, and the crime seemingly stopped. And they had really struggled with whether they should release it or not. They don't want him to change his MO, but they're also hoping that maybe he'll see that they're getting closer and just stop. <laughs> when does that happen? Yeah, they just I just move. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, they you know switched up a bit or they move scenery and. But again, they're not super familiar with serial killers. We have an interview with the victim's husband who says his wife suffered brain damage from an attack. Not really given much information about what this crime was. And then we're introduced to Kang Daiwan, who has the coolest fucking glasses I've ever seen. I love this dude. Like when you text me, I like I said, weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yes. He literally, at some points, he looks like he is dead being propped up on camera. <laughs> he has the coolest glasses. Well, his whole outfit is just super cool. <laughs> he's like, he's definitely like, he's top of the tops. Yeah. It's black frames with purple lenses. And you know this dude is just swimming in the ladies. Oh, yeah. He gets, he gets lots of pussy. And yeah, the fucking guy dubbing him clearly has more experience doing anime than serious documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> just, he's very excitable. <laughs> yeah. He is investigating murders in another region of Seoul. So with these new murders and attacks, it's young women walking alone and being attacked with blunt instruments or being stabbed. Spoiler alert, it's the same guy, but it's just weird how he just completely changes a victim type. Well, and he was like, well, you know, at first we were thinking, do we potentially have two serial killers right now in Korea? And he's like, 
but like even in the u.s it would be weird to have two operating at the same time and i'm like yeah, that's uh right. that's not <laughs> true at all California like, in the 70s and hmm. 80s yeah you got insane. like 15 yeah like two is nothing buddy <laughs> and this time he's not breaking into homes just attacking victims on the street just out in the open and that's what interested me so much in this is that he just switches it's from like on the, the street to just women like that doesn't happen often no i i don't know that i can think of a of a case that like someone has had such a that like huge change in yeah. you know their target um well even not just the target just like the crime scenes like where it happens changes yeah because like going from like you know in the middle of the afternoon when it's quiet and you know not a lot of people around inside a home to like on a public street in yeah. the middle like just out in the open like that's that's a huge and then it changes again to something else which we'll get into so they're talking about young women being attacked but they're kind of beating around the bush until the one cop says even at the time prostitution was illegal it was very liberal in practice in fact it was really quite rampant so now we understand the young woman is code for sex workers <laughs> it's a very polite way to but put it I, I was very proud of this documentary for being so progressive and referring to them as sex workers yeah, instead of, like, hookers prostitutes, or, yeah, yeah, hookers. So, during this time, the cops don't give a shit about sex workers. They're only interested in the pimps, and not in the way you would think. No, they just want, like... They work with the pimps. Yeah, they want information <laughs> from them. Bribes in, yeah, as informants. And, of course, so they have a new police captain who decides to crack down on sex work, which is fucking awful, as always. So, instead of sex work being more open in public... They have to go underground and meet clients at their homes. and Which is dangerous. Always poses a risk. So since our killer lived on the third floor of his apartment building, he couldn't just drag these women out. So he's chopping up the bodies and bringing the parts down in plastic bags. And he was putting kimchi in the bags. And, yeah. and can we talk about, did he call a taxi to take I, that yes. body with that. the kimchi? Like, I will get to that. What the fuck? But how could this idiot know how to cut up a body properly? The craziest fucking thing I have ever heard. I even texted you about it. Yes. Most of the time you hear about them reading anatomy books, but this dude went to the doctor and got x-rays done, like full body x-rays, and asked for copies so he could study them. It's fucking bizarre. But that's what you get with universal yeah. health care. It's not that insane because at the time of these killings, Korea has universal health care. So he's just like, hey, full body scan, please. Like, once I read that, I was like, oh, okay, it's not that weird. I mean, it is for us. I remember my oldest He didn't even have to buy a book. My oldest broke his arm, and I was like, fuck, this is going to take, like, cost a lot. Yeah, we're going to be spending thousands of dollars. Just x-rays is insane. So, yeah, he could have looked at a textbook, but I guess getting full x-rays would be easier to look at. Especially if it's probably, like, the price of a medical textbook. (laughs) So yeah, I'm not going to get too into the details other than to say these poor women were chopped up into like 16 to 18 pieces. Yeah, he was... Oof. And then, yes, he would mix old kimchi in with the body parts, which is actually kind of clever because it's a stinky smell. But it was so weird how like he... 
got a cat like the first time he did it or whatever and he gets a cab and he puts the kimchi in with the trash bags and first of all one of those trash bags that they showed in the reenactment had a rip in it and I do not uh, think that that is a smart <laughs> idea to be carrying around dead bodies with but rips in them like, yeah like I mean I've heard of cases where they call a cab but he just gets a cab, and, and the cab driver's like, oh, my goodness, is that kimchi? And, and he's like, like he's, oh, yeah, my mother made it for me. You're carrying it around in trash, trash bags? bags. <laughs> I guess <laughs> cab drivers, you don't ask a lot of questions. You just... And he takes him out to that wooded area or whatever, and mm-hmm. just, like, this, he gets out with his ba- trash bags full of kimchi. Yeah. Well, and then he's... <laughs> and he had a hoe. That's why I was like, he's burying him. Where did... Did he have to take that with him? <laughs> he didn't have a shovel. He like in the when the video they show he's not digging with a shovel. He's digging with like one of those like hose, like a. Pick. See, I didn't notice that. My question was like, did he bring that with him also? And the cab driver just didn't ask any questions. Some guy with, you know, two trash bags full of stinky kimchi and a hoe. Yeah. Out in the middle of the woods. That makes total sense. <laughs> just, yeah. So they really don't talk about these later victims very much, which bothered me. They go on about how these sex workers are basically treated like nothing and then don't even name them or talk about them. I mean, they don't show pictures, which I guess is just because maybe they're, like, profession. Like, they're, all the pictures they show, they're blurred. Yeah. February 9th, 2004, in Namdong, Chung Young Day, 47, was killed. She seemed a little older, so I'm not sure who she was. I don't know if she was a sex worker or just one of the random women he attacked on the street. I, I'm not sure. I mean, sex she work. She seemed a little older. But sex work knows no age, yeah, but. Yeah, that's true. So he seems to take a little bit of a break because that one was February 9th. This next one is March 16th. He choked Kwan Jin Hee to 23 to death. He then cut her corpse into pieces and dumped them on a trail named, near Sogang University. And then he takes like another bit of a break. May 2004, there's not a date. Mopogu, he lured 25-year-old Kim Hee Sun to his apartment and bludgeoned her unconscious with his hammer. He then decapitated her in the bathroom, smashed her head, mutilated her body, and buried her remains near Bongwan Temple. And this is what he's going to do with the rest of them, too. Yeah, he kind of, like, he finds a pattern yes. that sticks, and he just runs with it. And they said that they picked up quick. Like, yeah, he really started going at it. Because this one is just May 2004, and then this next one is May 7, 2004. And all of these are the same Mapogu. Uh, Shinmin A, 33, was killed the same way. June 1st, 2004, Hang Suk Sha, 35. June 9th, 2004, Jane Kwong, 26. June 18th, Kim Ji Ho, 27. June 25th, Wu Ku Yun, 28. And then July 2nd, Kim Mi Young, 26. July 9th, I think this one and the next one are the ones from that same massage parlor that they talk about later. Yeah. Um, Go Soon Hee, 24. And then July 13th, M. Mi Yong, 27. So, it's still, it's just, 
Like yeah, it, it was, it, yeah. He went from, like, taking, like, a month in between or whatever to, like, he just, like, went after. It's like those first, after. like, three were just boom, boom, boom. Then, like, kind of spaced a couple out, and then it was just picked back up again. So he's just taking these body parts to this small, flat area and burying them. The area is so small that he's putting these bag in. He's putting these bags 30 centimeters apart to make room. For us dumbass Americans, it's slightly less than a foot. So, I mean, they're pretty close together. He's, yeah, he's packing them in there. So, as typical with almost all of these serial killers, as smart as they think they are, they're bound to do something absolutely stupid to get caught. Oh, yeah. So, one of these massage parlors that has has had some of these women disappear receive a call from a guy asking them to send a woman to him. The owner of this place notices the phone number on the caller ID. Looks familiar! Belongs to one of the missing women. What a fucking idiot. Yeah, like, who does that? <laughs> Just who? So obviously the owner calls a cop friend and lets the dude know what's going on and they set up a sting to catch this guy. They, of course, need a woman to pose as bait and when she shows up to the meeting place, he calls her and dismisses her because she's too tall. And then freak. the detective comes on and <laughs> talks about how he didn't like the taller or the chubbier women because yeah. it was harder. So we're safe. Yeah. We're good. He's looking for smaller girls because they're easier to dispose of. God. So the next girl shows up and says this dude is weird, so they arrest him? It was very odd. It didn't make much sense. He's just fighting these cops off and has flyers stuffed in his mouth. He was, like, trying to swallow them. Have you ever tried to swallow, like, one piece of paper, let alone, like, a bunch of flyers? Even if he didn't harm any of these women, there's something a little off about them. (laughs) He has a mouthful of flyers. He's just, like, trying to... (laughs) So who is this fucking creep? A 34-year-old named Yu Young-chul, who has a son who was previously married... He's been previously convicted 14 times for several different charges. That's a lot of charges at 34. I'll go over them, too. They're bizarre. And he served a total of seven years in prison prior to his string of murders. And they're shocked. He's a clean-cut, average-looking dude with no tattoos. The no tattoos thing was a weird thing for them to mention a couple of times. Yeah, they were like, it was summer, and... We noticed you didn't have any tattoos. Like, is that, like, a normal thing in Korea, maybe? I don't know. The criminals all have tattoos? <laughs> Cultural differences. But you look at his previous crimes, and it's not that shocking that it could be this guy. So, the first one was in 1988, which was theft. Would have put him around, like, 1819. So, he started, like, right away. 1991, theft. Sentenced to 10 months in prison. June 23, 1993 is when he marries his girlfriend. Also in 1993, theft, where he's sentenced to eight months in prison. So I guess marriage didn't change him. <laughs> Does it ever? <laughs> October 26, 1994, his son was born. And as far as we know, he's on the straight and narrow for a few years. Except for 1995, where he's charged with selling child pornography. What the fuck, man? You got a kid! 1998, there's theft, forgery, identity theft. He's sentenced to two years in prison. 2000, he's charged with raping a 15-year-old girl, sentenced to three years, six months. October 27, 2000, his wife divorces him. Guess she finally took the hints. Seriously. September 11, 2003, never forget, 
he is released from prison. And September 24th, 2003 is when he kills the first victims less than two weeks after being released from prison. Just Man. no downtime for this guy. Didn't even take a vacation. No. I've also read elsewhere that the cops weren't even the original, the ones who originally caught him in that sting thing. It was eventually the massage parlor owner and employees who captured him as the lone police officer who arrived in response to the phone call eventually left before you arrived. When you showed up later, he was captured by the workers and detained until another police officer who happened to be nearby responded to the scuffle and arrested him. Good for them, because this man is taking your staff? I guess. But there's a couple of things where I'm... They say something in the documentary, but I read something else elsewhere, and this is one of those. I feel which, like they're yeah, going to want to make themselves this look good. makes the cops look bad, yeah. They're going to want to look better than they really are. So they get him in, in t- into an interrogation room, and this dude just right away confesses to the murders of the elderly people. They didn't have anything on him. Literally anything. No. Although I do like how the cops said that, like, one of the detectives, like, smacked him in the head, and he's like, he didn't even hit him very hard, but he just, like, blew up. And I'm like, yeah, like, I would be pissed, (laughs) too, if someone, like, randomly hit me in the head. Like, I I, I don't get this dude. (laughs) I wonder if he kept quiet about this, if... He would have gotten away with it. Absolutely, because they had nothing on him. Literally, like no evidence. Until he confessed. Nothing. And then it kind of just. Until he confessed. So then he says he's not going to confess anymore unless his mom is there, which what a little bitch. And throughout this documentary, they're rating off like his diary entries. (laughs) He sounds like the Korean Elliot Rogers, just a whiny bitch who can't handle women not wanting to deal with this shit. Yes. It's very, like, melodramatic. Yeah. Like, oh, woe is me. Like, these bitches don't deserve me. Like, shut up. So his mom shows up and, like, immediately passes out when he says he killed people. Like, she showed up, like, what did he do now? And then all of a sudden just, oh, heavens, to Betsy, and passes <laughs> out. It's really weird. To be fair, I would be passing out as well if my kid, like, murdered a bunch of people with so a hammer. She's to be there, and then she's it like, just... She's like, damn it, what did Timmy do now? <laughs> he murdered people, what? <laughs> oh, my. So we learned through this not to fuck with Korean cops because they're totally cool with just slapping suspects. There's a <laughs> lot just, of slapping. They're just very, like, nonchalant slapping him around. And also there's a Korean word for prick. Like, they're like, this guy's a prick. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> I learned a lot watching this. Oh, yeah. So none of the other cops think this guy did the old people murders except for Purple Shades do. Dude, he recognizes that this guy has priors and is just being an asshole and dicking these guys around. And then he fucking escapes. He just walks out. Literally walks out. Like, legitimately, like, he just walks out of the building. With no shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So he had faked a seizure. So they would loosen his cuffs, and then there's a whoopsie-doo where a detective leaves the room and thinks another detective's keeping an eye on him, but somehow he wasn't, and you sneaks out, and it's somehow worse than any of Ted Bundy's escapes. <laughs> like, I thought those were bad enough. 
And apparently he had faked a seizure to avoid arrest in a previous case, so... It should have been on record. It's insane this worked. It should have been on his file. Like, I can imagine when Known to fake seizures. Yeah, when Purple Shades guy, like, found out, just lining up all these cops and just walking by and just slapping Slapping them all. (laughs) But the creepy part was he was following that one detective down the hall, and that guy had no idea. No, he's like so scary. Followed him out. On the beginning of this third episode, we learned that we don't use clapperboards anymore. We just use an app on our phone. I thought the you know the clapperboards. They just held up a phone with an app that had it. <laughs> I really thought that was weird. Anyway, the chase is on for this guy. Middle of the night in a city of ten million, and this guy is loose. And they're worried he could kill again. FYI, Seoul has almost 2 million more people than New York City does, and it's smaller. So that's... I'm not surprised. Like, when you think of places like Japan and Korea, like, you know, like, you see, you you hear about, like, those tiny apartments or whatever where it's, like, literally just enough room for, like, a bed and a toilet. That is crazy. Like, more people than New York City, and it's smaller. So that's just, once you're gone, like, you're just... That would be so hard to find somebody. Oh, yeah. Needle in a haystack. And yet apparently he goes home and has enough time to get rid of evidence. Why were there no detectives that is? not there? Like, how do you not, like, okay, you can't get in because you don't have, like, warrants or anything. But how do you not at least have somebody there, like, posted up, like, like, yeah, to make sure nobody comes. Like, oh, my God, that was annoying. Like, he has a friend come clear out all of his... And then to cover up their fuck up of letting him escape, they basically just charge him with stealing a cell phone. So it looks better than to let a murderer walk free. <laughs> I'm so assuming the stolen cell phone was the one from that one missing woman that had called, he used to call in. Yeah, I know. That would make sense. But the most shocking part is the guy from the prosecutor's office just allowed this and signed off on the theft charge. Like, he even knew, like, I'm covering up for these guys. I'm like, yeah, you are. Why? But don't worry. They arrest him 12 hours later. 12 hours. He was not smart. could have been gone forever. This fucking idiot was hanging out in the red light district. (laughs) Cops were like, well, he killed women from here, so let's just go check out the area. And sure enough. There he is. Yes, crossing the street. And so now he starts confessing to everything and drawing pictures of crime scenes. It's insane. If he had kept quiet, they could have only charged him with the stolen phone. Yeah. And he would have just been, like, probably out. They, again, they no literally evidence. had nothing on him. But these assholes have to brag about how scary they are. So this piece of shit killed the wealthy older people because he was angry about growing up poor. <laughs> Wah, wah. I grew up poor and didn't turn into an asshole. Well, to a point. <laughs> and he killed the sex workers because his former girlfriend was a sex worker and broke up with him. So he was seeking revenge. <sighs> <laughs> so later on, his quote was, women shouldn't be sluts, and the rich should know what they've done. <laughs> Shut up. Like, he deserved every slap. It's the worst. Like, He's... like there's no valid excuse, obviously, but, like, those are the worst, like, fake excuses. <laughs> yeah. 
But he's at least decent enough to tell the cops where the bodies are buried so the women can be returned to their families. But I guess I misspoke. He's not being decent. He's just using it as an excuse to brag some more, is what I feel like. Like, you're, yeah, here are the bodies. You can see what I did to these women. You can see how scary and tough I am. Well, and they said that he even, like, knew where he ranked in, like, victim count for yeah. serial killers. Which is just... So now we finally, finally get to where the raincoat killer nickname came from. <laughs> and I am not when he was killing them. Really disappointed yeah. because there was not a lot of raincoat involved. <laughs> so Korean law and media protect suspects' names and identities. So when they took him to the area to show where he buried the bodies, they had his face covered with a hat, mask, and raincoat. So there you go. That's all it is. Yeah, it's it's just like a little yellow raincoat. I literally, I thought it was going to be like the Wallace murder or whatever, where like they were convinced the husband was naked and put on a raincoat (laughs) to murder his wife so that he could like do it and then get back and uh, just, you know, like for the timing of it, because he obviously couldn't show up covered in murder, murder, covered in murder, murder. (laughs) covered in blood. I was like, is he killing people in raincoats? Yeah. Is he wearing a raincoat while he murders? Yeah. No. It was like, I thought it was going to be a mix of like that Macintosh murder thing. They were very specific. It was a it was a Macintosh raincoat. Um, or um, the, I want to say teenagers, but I feel like they were a little bit older than teenagers. The two guys in Russia that were just going around videotaping themselves. Oh, with the hammers? Yes, yeah. murdering people with hammers. Like, it, I felt like it was going to be like a cross of that, and then I was surprised that it was really just like... No murder not. happened with the raincoat. <laughs> no raincoat. It's disappointing. Purple Shades talks about how they made him watch them digging up the bodies, but you know he got off on that. Yeah, like, <laughs> was that punishment? He also mentions about how the bodies were still somewhat fresh because, yeah, you forget how quickly all of this goes down. Super fast, yeah. The first of these murders happened May 15th. The last one was July 13th, and he's captured on July 15th. Yeah, so So some of these... it's not just bones. No, they're, they're, they're fresh. And again, they don't deal with this sort of thing, so it has to be absolutely horrendous for these cops. Well, and the the female investigator was even saying that, like, while she was, like, videoing, she was crying. Yeah. Because it was just so... And shout out to Detective Kim. To ID the bodies, DNA would take at least 15 days. So she went and checked the fingerprints on the bodies. Yeah, and she said that it one of them took, like, 161 yeah. attempts. Like, She's like, really affected by these deaths. Um, but she had them all identified that day. Yeah, she was definitely a boss. She's a saint. So everyone keeps saying that the only thing linking him to all these murders is his confession, which I don't know. He led them to the bodies. Yeah, that's a pretty big giveaway that someone might have had a part in it. His bathroom, where he killed and dismembered the women, fucking glowed like the Griswold's house at Christmas. (laughs) on the ceiling and there's body matter still on the bathroom ceiling yeah it was he did it (laughs) 
they're yeah yeah he just... also told them where the murder weapon was which was a terrifying sledgehammer that he had modified so it had a short handle on it jesus and i love that the neighbors noticed something was up because their shared water bill had shot up from him like washing all the blood away <laughs> i'd be so pissy if i had a shared water <laughs> bill with all my neighbors but this evidence is not nothing. You can't just ignore the state of that bathroom. No, literally. There was, there was skin on the ceiling <laughs> of his bathroom. Like, that screams murderer. So checking the sledgehammer for DNA ties him to yet another murder. This would have been the seventh one on his list. Uh, April 14th in Mapugu, on Jai Sun 44 was a vendor... According to this film, this is another one where there's two different stories, but according to the film, he was killed because he was questioning to use fake police badge. The police badge is never brought up anywhere else. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about so, that. So, I've read in other places that the vendor scammed you by giving him fake Viagra pills. <laughs> I assume it's like the dick pills, like at bodegas. I don't know. He was wrestled into his own van, handcuffed, and murdered. You sawed off the victim's hands and disposed of them in a plastic bag. He then set the van on fire. So this murder never would have been solved without the weapon because it's during the spree of the women. Yeah, it didn't really fit. So they sort of skim over the courtroom stuff. So let's go over that a little. Oh my god, this guy is insane. So you first appeared in court on September 6, 2004 refusing to defend himself, declaring his intention to boycott, boycott, boycott the remainder of the trial and then apologize to the victims. He boasted that he had no intention of stopping. When he was forced to return two weeks later, he lunged at the three presiding judges. That's not suspicious. <laughs> he refused to appear at the next court session on October 4th after attempting suicide the night before. And he again disrupted a hearing three weeks later when he tried to attack a spectator who had cursed him, which ended with you signing a statement that he would not cause further commotion. <laughs> and we're just supposed to believe that? <laughs> yeah. So prosecutors requested the death penalty, which you thank them for. <laughs> and you was sentenced to death on December 13, 2004 for 20 counts of murder. His case, which appalled Koreans, has fueled the debate on capital punishment in South Korea. Although the death penalty is still permissible under law, it has not been carried out since 1997. So, and support for the death penalty has grown since learning of his crimes. The Seoul Central District Court said murderers of as many as 20 people are unprecedented in the nation and a very serious crime. Yeah, you think? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you there. <laughs> the death penalty is inevitable for you in light of the enormous pains inflicted on the families concerned and the entire society. You is currently detained at Seoul, Seoul Detention Center. So it's a lot, but I'm really glad I watched it. It was rough and I left some things out just because it's, it felt like almost too much to discuss. Yeah, I would have to say... I may have enjoyed it even more with only subtitles, but I can't trust subtitles yeah. these days. And so I had to do like both. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I, I do think that kind of like the voices kind of 
can take you out of it a bit like but because... there were some points where you need that yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it just gets so dark yeah but yeah i definitely watched it it was very interesting no it was definitely it was a good one um and it's new so you know it's it's definitely it like was what i had seen but i had kind of been like uh but i was like once i looked into it i was like this might be interesting and i i actually hadn't heard of this case so yeah it was definitely new information for me. And like you said, it was like a huge insight into what it's like in other countries when they're trying to solve murders. Yeah. So. I think next week I mentioned going over that Lorena Bobbitt documentary. I could Amazon. use a good dick we cut can, off. Yeah, we can rip on that cop who didn't want to touch a severed dick. In parts of his face, we laugh. We could, we could. It's basically like, it'd be pretty gay to touch a dick. <laughs> no homo, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's exceptions. We could use something a little lighthearted. And... Uh, well, <laughs> just the beginning of that is lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but we could, we could stand to talk about a little justified dick chopping because this is something that happened when we were growing up yeah i remember this i remember that being like uh what about what was this a wiener whack like growing up it was such a joke and then once you like read into it it's like oh no 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 (laughs) yeah we were too young to know like the real story yeah. but we definitely weren't too young to make jokes about it no. <laughs> all right so we'll be back for next week bye-bye bye thank you for listening to doc to me the opening music is by twisterium for comments or suggestions we can be reached by email at doc pod at gmail.com find us on twitter at doc to me pod and find a link to our facebook group in the show notes thank you